Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're, of course, we're continuing our study through this, this letter, and he's writing really twofold. One to Timothy to encourage him to fulfill his ministry, and then he writes also to the church. It's the church at Ephesus. That's where he's staying, and that is to give in, that church instructions on how to function. Of course, we can make application and say, yes, we want to look at these truths in here that we can make application ourselves, and then as a church, we want to look and make application in that way. He's dealing with leadership and false teachers and sound doctrine and relationships. Well, the this morning, as we go into chapter 6, we're going to see two key areas. Let me give them to you. First, slaves and masters, and then false teachers. As far as slaves and masters, what we're going to be able to do is make application there as far as like an employee and an employer. Because when we think about the, how he says how a slave is to relate to his master, we can make that application and say, how can we relate to the person who's our boss or who tells us what to do, those kind of things. The second part is false teachers. This is the third time in the letter that he is dealing with false teachers. There obviously was an issue and a problem in the church at Ephesus with people teaching things that were contrary to the, to the truths of the Word of God. And so he talks a little bit about this. We'll get some information there. You know that the Word of God was given to us so that we can know it, so that we can apply it and then we can pass it on to others. We want to be changed by the Word of God. Well... Most of us work, right? Most of us do. And if, if, even if you're in college, some of us have part-time jobs. Other people have full-time jobs. Uh, students, sometimes you're in high school, you have jobs. And our jobs range from working in an office to owning our own company to working outdoors to work with fast food to babysitting. Most of us, in some way or another, do some type of job. Robert Oren said this. Robert Oren said this. He says, I've been working all my life, but somehow it seems longer. You know, think about it. I've been working all my life, but somehow it just seems longer. How do you view your work? Think about it. There's three ways you can view work. Some, some love what they do. They can hardly get up, you hardly wait to get up in the morning to go to work. That's me. That's, I love what I do. I love to study the Bible. I love to teach. I love to be there. I love to meet with people. I love to come to the church. I love to meet somebody for coffee. I love to just, you know, talk about the Bible. I can hardly wait to do it. So I'm just one of those guys that by the grace of God, I get to do what I love to do. Some people, when they look at work and they think, you know, it's okay. It's okay. I do it to earn a living. I, I, I do it, you know, I enjoy it. It's okay. But, you know, I, I, that's what I do. And then there's some people who actually hate their work. They, they live for the weekend. You hear people always saying, you know, it's Friday, it's Friday. I can only wait for Friday or I can only wait for the weekend because they, they don't like what they do. So how do you do? How do you deal with your work? How do you view your work? What about your work situation? Think about this. Some people have bosses that are good, that are good people. They're fair. They're fun to work with. In fact, you're glad that you're there with them. Some people have bosses that they dislike. They're unfair. They're hard to work for. They're hard to please. Some of you have bosses who are Christians. Some of you have bosses who aren't Christians. How do you deal with that? How should we view our work? In fact, more importantly, how should we do our work? Well, this morning we look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to see the whole issue of slaves and masters. And what we can do is make application from that to, to think about our lives concerning our work. Because as what he tells the slave, he says, this is how you relate to your master. We can say, how about an employee? How do we relate to our employer? So there may be some great stuff in there that we can apply in our lives. Well, let, let's begin. Let's think about it. In our study, we remember that we're closing out really a little section dealing with relationships. He's talked about older men and older women and widows and elders. And this morning he gets to, to, 
to really two more groups. He gets to slaves and he gets to, uh, to uh, the whole idea of false teachers again. Let me break down the passage for you. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, it's the slave's relationship to masters. He's even going to talk about what if, you, what if you're a slave to an unbeliever? We can make application. What if you, you work for somebody who's not a Christian? Or what if you work for somebody who is a believer, who is a Christian? And he talks about that as for slaves to masters. And then in verses 3, 4, and 5, and we'll go through this fairly quickly. He's talking again about false teachers. This is the third time in the letter. And we'll see what he has to say. He's talking about recognizing and what happens when you have people who are false teachers in a local body. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, God's word is, is what we must know and apply to impact this world. Well, let's begin with the whole subject of slaves to masters. And we go, well, you know, J.B., that doesn't really relate to us because, I mean, we don't have slaves and masters and those kind of things. But we do, we do work for people. But in Ephesians chapter 6... Verses 3 through 10 in Colossians chapters 3 and 4, he actually deals with responsibilities of slaves and masters. He gives both sides. In this passage, all he really talks about is the slave and says, how do you relate to your master? Now, as we begin with this, Kenneth Weiss said this, that we must realize that slavery in the Roman Empire was taken for granted. Over half the population were slaves. When Rome ruled the world, over half were slaves. In fact, they're estimating as many as 60 million people were slaves when Rome ruled the world. In this passage, Paul is not discussing the right or wrong concerning slavery. He is discussing the slave's responsibility to the master. That's what he's really dealing with in this passage. So what we want to do is try to make applications and say, okay, we're not slaves and masters. We want to think about employees and employers. Let's look how he starts. Chapter 6, verse 1, he begins with the idea of the slave. And he says, all who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Now, we realize that that in, in, in the context of what's being written, that slaves and masters didn't have a whole lot of contact other than the master telling the slave what to do in this part of the world. But there were times that, especially in the first century when Christianity began to spread, there were some times that slaves, but that both the slave and the master were Christians. And they had great contact with each other. In fact, there are times that slaves and masters went to church together. Now, Paul gives instruction that uses this word yoke, which means to put an animal in subjection. He says this, all who are under the yoke as slaves. So he's reminding them, he's saying that you're under this authority, you're, 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 you belong to this master. That's what it was. Now, he's not trying to deal with the issue of right and wrong. He's just saying, here's a, here's a situation that exists. How do you as a slave relate to your master? We would say, how do we as employees relate to our employer? How do we do that? And so he, he says, all who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their masters as worthy of all honor. Now, the master had complete control over the life of the slave. In verse 1, he's going to talk about what if you have an unbelieving master? We can make applications and say, what if you work for a boss and he's not a believer? What, what if when you go to work every day, this guy, he might even make fun of you because he knows you're a Christian? How do you deal with that? In verse 2, he's going to actually say, well, what if, what if your master is a Christian? We make it this way. What if your boss is a Christian? How do you deal with that? Notice what he says. All, the first verse deals with, what if you don't have a, it's an unbelieving master. All who are under the yoke of slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. 
Now, notice this word, these unbelieving masters, look at the worthy of all honor. The word honor there means to honor them. Now, he's not talking about necessarily honor the particular person. He's talking about honoring the position. Because in this situation, he's saying that person's the master, I'm the slave. You might say that you've got an unbelieving boss that you work for. You might say, I've got to honor that whole position. I may not necessarily like the person, even respect the person because of their character or some things, but I honor the position that they have there. They're my employer. I'm the employee. So he says, all who are under the yoke of slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. He's talking about this position. Give honor to the master. Why? Why? Because you could say this. He, he doesn't care. Why, why would I honor that? Because he doesn't care anything about me in this position. It could be that this unbelieving master beats the slave. Who knows? What if you have a boss that you say, I don't know why I should honor him because he doesn't care anything about me. In fact, he makes fun of me and he, he, he gives me the worst jobs to do. And I, don't, I don't even like the person. So why would we give honor to that person? Because he goes on to say, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. He says, so that the name of God, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, and our teaching, our doctrine, will not be spoken against. The truth is, you, he's saying the slave, you live in such a way before your master that Jesus Christ is lifted up. So that the truths about Jesus and the truths about the Bible will not be spoken against. The whole idea is to maintain the positive testimony of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. It's the same is true for us. In a situation in which you work for someone who you don't maybe necessarily respect as a person, they may not be a Christian, they may be, you say, I am going to do my job and I'm going to show worthiness to that position so that the name of Jesus Christ will be lifted up. And so that the truths from the the word of God will not be spoken against. How do we live and how do we do our jobs? It rep- we represent Jesus Christ and how we live and how we live out affects our testimony. You understand that at this time, this time went by and there were Christian slaves. The masters knew if their slaves were Christians or not by some of the things that they found out and what they heard. And for a Christian slave to show themselves as a disobedient and rebellious would immediately discredit their Christianity. For you to not do your job the way you should do your job is going to discredit the fact that you are a Christian. Do you understand that there are people out there that know you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior? They know that and they are expecting you to be different. They are expecting you to be different. And if you're not, you know what they say? They say, I thought you're supposed to be different. I thought you Christians supposed to be different. It's powerful. Today, the way we live affects our testimony for Jesus Christ. He says, what I want you to do, he says, if you have an unbelieving master, he's writing to the slave, he says, what you should do is honor that master so that the name of God will not be spoken against and the truths of the Bible will not be spoken against. We make application in our lives as our jobs that what we want to do, we want to do it for the glory of God and so that we live in such a way, we work in such a way that the truths about Jesus Christ and the truths about the Bible are not spoken against. Have you ever thought about this? And I was thinking about it earlier this morning about maybe students. Not only jobs, but have you ever thought about your schoolwork? Have you ever thought about your teachers, your professors? 
you go into a class and and they give you assignments and they they may not like you. In fact, they may make fun of you when they find out you're a Christian. How are you going to do your schoolwork for them? Because in one sense, you could almost say that part of my job is to complete my schoolwork and do well. We're paying money for this. So how do you do your job? How do you do your school job? Even with a teacher that might make fun of you. So in our lives, we say, okay, what, what if I have an unbelieving boss? I want to do my job so that the truth about Christ and my Savior will not be spoken against. That takes us to the second thing. What about having a believing master? Or we would say it this way, what if you had a believing boss? And it was common sometimes for Christians who had who was there was a Christian master and a Christian slave and we see it in the Bible Philemon the book of Philemon is a little bitty book he has a Philemon is the master there's a slave called Onesimus in the book they're both Christians what does he say to do those who have verse two those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they're brethren but must serve them all the more. Because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. He said, if you have a believing master, we would say it this way. If you have a believing boss, don't be disrespectful to them. The word disrespectful literally has an idea of to care nothing or to take advantage of. Listen, there are people who work for a Christian. They're a Christian. They go to the same church. It's supposed to be there at 8. You get there at 8.10. You say, you're late. It doesn't matter. The boss doesn't care. He knows me. We're Christians. We're in the same Sunday school. doesn't matter if I'm exactly on time. It doesn't matter. You're taking advantage. I worked, before I went to, when I was coaching at Mississippi State, I resigned. Before I went to seminary, I worked for about a year for a state farm agent. He's a great man. He's a Christian. He, he hired everybody in his office were Christians. They all knew Jack. Jack's a Christian. Jack's a great man. Many times the people were late. They'd come in. I was the office manager. I came over to him and said, you're late. They said, Jack doesn't care. We're in the same Sunday school. He doesn't care. Do not take advantage of your boss if you're a Christian. Notice what he says. He says, those who are believers have, have, have believers as their masters, do not be disrespectful to them because they're brethren. Don't take advantage of them because they're fellow believers. It is easy for believers to take advantage of each other. We say things like, oh, they don't care. We, we all, we're all Christians. He knows. He knows. She knows. He knows. Doesn't matter. If you have an unbelieving boss, you want to do your job so good so that the truths about Christ and the truths of the Bible cannot be spoken against. If you have a believing boss, you want to do your job so good so that you will not take advantage of a fellow Christian. Notice what he goes on to say. Those who are believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they're brethren, but serve them all the more. Why? Because those who are partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. You're serving a fellow believer. Believer. That's what you serve them even more. Why serve hard? Because you're serving a fellow believer. He says, as a, as a slave, if you have a believing master, then don't take advantage of him because he's a fellow believer, but serve him even more. Realize slaves had no choices. We have choices. They, they didn't have a choice of what they did and when they did it and where they did it. But in our jobs, we have choices. You could say, well, I don't like this. Then maybe find another job. Because as a Christian, if we don't do our jobs for the glory of God, 
we will either, with an unbelieving boss, we will hurt the testimony of Jesus Christ, or with a believing boss, we will take advantage. And both are wrong. Whether we have believing or unbelieving bosses, we want to do a job for the glory of God. Let me show you three, three things about jobs. Number one, we need to do our job as unto the Lord. Colossians 3, listen to this. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. He says, do your job for the Lord. We do our jobs literally. We're not serving other people. We're not even serving ourselves. We're serving Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6, 7 actually says, with good service as unto the Lord, not to men. So the first thing you need to think about is when you do your job, even... College students, if you don't have a job and you got schoolwork, even when you're doing your schoolwork, you're doing it for the Lord. Do your job as unto the Lord. Whether we have a believer, unbelieving boss. Some say that doing a good job is a lost art because a lot of people don't do a good job. Think about this truth. No matter who your boss is, you're really working for God. You're to bring glory to Him. You've got to do everything you can for Him. It has been said that we may grumble at work, but we should stop and think that this workplace is a place that we can be a representative of Jesus Christ and to serve others. Chuck Swindoll said this. He said, the believer at work is under constant surveillance. This is our number one occupational hazard. People are looking at you. They're looking at you to see what kind of job you're going to do. The unbeliever is looking at you to see if you're going to live up to what you say you are, and you believe in master, believe in bosses expecting you to do a good job. In fact, expecting you to be the best worker there. It's really sad when the Christians aren't the best workers. In any job that we do, whether it's a job, whether it's our homework, whether it's our work, whether in any job, whether we got a believing boss or an unbelieving boss, we should be the best workers. You know why? Because we're doing it for the Lord. We're doing it for the Lord. Wow, we should be the best. Don't take advantage because they're fellow believers that we work for. Here's number two. Do your job the best you can. Not only do we do our job for the Lord, but we're doing the job the best we can. In Colossians it says, with sincerity of heart, do your work heartily. It means from the heart. You've ever heard somebody say, put your heart in it. Put your heart in it. That means really go after it. This is what he says. Do your work from your heart. Let me tell you something, just just a piece of advice. Whatever you guys, some of you already have jobs and you're out and you're working all that. Some of you are in college and you're looking for jobs and you're saying, what am I going to do? You find something that you have a passion for. You find something that you want to do and then you do it the rest of your life. Don't just go get a job because it's a job. You do something that's based on your gifts, your skills, your talents, your passion, your heart, so that when you wake up in the morning, you want to do this. Because you're doing it for the Lord, and you should be doing it the best you can. There are times in our lives, I, when I coached at Mississippi State, I loved it, I loved being a coach, and God changed my desires. Before I could go to Dallas Seminary, it was about a, about a year from the time that I got ready to say I need to go, and, and before I could go, and, and so I had to look for a job. Well, I worked for a state farm guy for about a year. But you know what, I didn't just say, I got this year... And then I'm going to go to seminary, so I, don't, I hate working for a state. Listen, the guy was great. I actually enjoyed it. I learned a whole lot about insurance. And, I mean, and it was sort of fun. But it wasn't what I wanted to do. It wasn't my passion. But I did it the best I could because I had a good boss. He's a good man. But in reality, who was I working for? 
was working for God. And the same thing, whether you just got a part-time job now or a job that you're saying, this is a job I'm going to do for a couple of years and I'm going to look for something else. Listen, whatever it is, you're doing it for the Lord and you do it the best you can. There's one other thing, number three. It's honor your authority. Whatever the person is above you, obey them. Colossians, I think I have the verse, Colossians 3.23 says to obey. Uh, actually, it's 3.22. Slaves, obey your masters. In other words, do what they say. Ephesians 6.5, I think, it, I don't know if that's the next one up there or not. Yeah, Ephesians 6.5, be obedient. Do what we're supposed to do. It, I think it's the saddest thing when people say Christians aren't the best workers. You know, sometimes we don't have a good reputation of being good workers. Put the next line. We do our jobs for the Lord. We do our jobs the best we can. We come under the authorities in our work. All for the glory of God. Look how he ends this little section into verse 2. says, teach and preach these principles. Literally in the Greek it says, teach and preach these things. And I think that he's not only just dealing with what we've just seen in verses 1 and 2, but he goes all the way back to relationship to older men and older women and widows and elders and all this. I think he's saying, listen, this is what we live by. These are the truths we live by. We want to follow these principles. Listen, we want to follow these principles in the church, at home, in our work. God's Word is the foundation for our lives. And if we follow these principles from God's Word, we can make an impact for Jesus Christ and an impact in the lives of other people. I mean, the truth is, don't you want to make a difference? I mean, you do. If all of us were honest, we'd say, I want my life to count. I just don't want to go through life and say, gee, I just went through life. No, you want to say, I had an impact for Jesus Christ. God used my life for his glory. You have to choose to live by the scripture, by the word of God. And in this particular passage, he says, listen, whatever you do in your job, you do it for the Lord. You do it the best you can. You do it coming under the authorities that you're under, and you make an impact for Jesus Christ. Well, from this, he then moves to the false teachers, okay? And I'm going to go fairly quickly through verses 3, 4, and 5. I just want you to see this. He's talking about how to recognize these guys, and here's what he says. Look at verse 3. If anyone advocates a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, to put it in simple words, he says, how do you know if there's a false teacher? They don't match the Scripture. They don't conform. They, they have a doctrine different than the Word of God. They don't match what, what Jesus taught. They don't match the Word, the truths that are there. He says they don't agree with two things, the sound words of Jesus Christ or the teaching, uh, the doctrines of the Word of God. Some have said that he's actually saying the sound words of Christ, which would be what we'd call the Gospels, and then the other would be the Epistles. Either way, they're contrary to the Word of God. I know it is hard for all of us to imagine there are people out there who are false teachers that do not hold to the Word of God. They don't care. We've already talked about this. And how in the world are you going to recognize a false teacher? The only way you can recognize a false teacher is not by their lifestyle. can't tell. You can tell by their message. And in order for you to be able to recognize false teaching, you have to know the Word of God yourself so that you can know what is right and wrong. In fact, I have up there, I think, a couple of verses you've got to study. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved. A workman need not be ashamed, handling accurately the Word of God. You must study so you can rightly divide the Bible and understand it. 2 Peter 3.18, you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You've got to do that. It's the only way. 
Now, he ends this, and I'm going to go quickly, because he says, when you see these people, because they, they don't hold to the Scripture. And let me tell you, you can, you can turn on television, and you can go places, or you can read a book. And let me tell you, if you know the Scripture, you can hear this guy, and you can say, that, that's not what the Bible says. I don't know where he's getting that, but that's not coming from the Scripture. You can tell immediately when you know the Word of God. And you have to be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within you. You've got to know the Scripture. But let me tell you what happens. Here's what he shows. He says, when these people are in a body, here's what happens. Three things. Number one, they're, they're conceited. There's going to be conflicts. And there's covetedness. See, the idea of conceited is the idea they think they're better than others. Conflicts are going to be conflicts within the body. And then there's the covetedness, there's greed. Let me talk about conceited. Look at, look at verse 4. He is conceited and understands nothing. Now, a person who's a false teacher is conceited. They think they know more. They think they're the sharper. Let me tell you something. When this was written, there was a group of people at the time that this was written, they were called Gnostics. It comes from the Greek word gnosko, which means I come to know. These people said they knew more than everyone else. That's why they call themselves Gnostics. They said they had a higher knowledge that God had revealed to them things that weren't in the Scripture that were better and beyond, and they call themselves Gnostics. That's what he's talking about. There are people who say, oh, I, I know things that you don't know because God is the one who revealed this to me. He says they're conceited and understand nothing. So be real careful. There are going to be people out there. And let me tell you, when people begin to move away from the Scripture, there's a pride involved because they say, I know what's right, even though this is not from the Bible. They think they're the authority rather than the Scripture. I want you to understand that. Whenever you see someone and they are telling you what to do, not the Scripture, they have become the authority. Human beings are not the authority. The Word of God is the authority. I'm not your authority. The only thing I can tell you to do is what the Scripture tells you to do because that's the authority. And one of the marks of a false teacher is they think they are the authority. He says they are conceited and they understand nothing. That's the first thing. The second thing is there are all kind of conflicts. And look what he says. Conceited and understand nothing and has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction. There's conflict in two areas. The words, what they say, that's basically what they teach, and then with people. Notice what he says. I'll do the words quickly. He says he has a moral inter uh, morbid interest in controversial question and disputes about words. That means teaching. They cause conflict because they have word battles. A guy came to me, this is years ago, but I think I'd been here about five or six years, and he came to me and he said, I'm thinking about coming to Countryside. I said, great. He said, I want to know what you preach against. And I said, I don't preach against. I teach the Word of God. I don't preach against. I teach the Word of God. See, here's one of the problems with Christians in America. They all know what we're against. They don't know what we're for. We're against this. We're against this. We're against this. And so unbelievers, when they see Christians, all they think about is, oh, you're not for this, and you're against this, and you hate these things, and you hate this. They don't know what we're for. You know what we're for? We're for Jesus Christ. We're for people coming to know Christ as Savior. we got a good news message. We don't have an evil message. We don't have a message of hate. We have a message of love. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. We need to make sure people know what, we, what we're for, not what we're against. 
And so there's conflicts, and there was conflicts in the words and the doctrine, and then people. And notice what he puts, though, about the people part. There's envy and strife and abusive language and evil suspicions. If you look at the verse, he says, "...and disputes about words on which rise envy, that's pride, the whole idea of strife or conflicts, abusive language is attacking the person's evil suspicions. Uh, they, don't, they don't trust if you're not in a group, they don't trust, you know." And then constant friction in a church, which is where he's writing... When there are false teachers, there's always going to be division. There's always going to be constant friction. Let me tell you something. I talked to a guy that's been about a year ago. He goes to another church in town, and here's what he told me. We were, we were talking, and it came up about the issue of the gospel. And he said, J.B., what do you think about what's the gospel of the salvation message? I said, well, I think it's this. I think that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to the earth, and he died on the cross to pay for sin. He was buried and rose again, conquering death. And whoever will believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's, it's by grace you're saved through faith. It's a person's faith alone in Christ alone. And you're saved and you're saved forever. He said, I agree with that. He said, but you know the church I go to, that's not the message from the pulpit. It's a different message. And he said, and what's so amazing is in my Sunday school class, there's a different message than that. And in the Sunday school class that meets right next to us, there's a different message than that. So he goes to a church that has three different messages for salvation in the church. Do you think they've got conflict? Do you think they got problems? They do. Let me tell you, countryside, if you would like to teach, you have to take our 412 and our 22 class before you can teach because we want to make sure you believe what we believe. You want to make sure that you match the Scripture on what we believe about the Gospel and about Christ and salvation and the Bible and all these good things. Because, see, when you have people teaching things contrary to the Word of God, you're going to always have envy, strife, abusive language, constant friction. That's what he talks about. I want to end with the last thing. And the last part is covetedness. That's greed. They actually think they make money from religion. Watch what he says. Uh, the constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. They think that they make money from religion. There are people out there that think they're going to make money. And they are, they're doing really well. Some of them are. They're making money from religion, from godliness. They believe that the purpose of what they do is to make money. Let me tell you something. Our goal is not to make money. Our goal is to make disciples. That's our goal. There's a big difference. And he says they think godliness is gains. Paul tells us in the next verse that godliness with contentment is great gain. We'll talk about that next time. What have we seen? We've seen slaves and masters. Do our job as unto the Lord. Give honor to the master. If he's unbelieving, you want to do it in such a way that Jesus Christ and the Word of God is not talked about. And you, if you've got a believing master, you want to do your job for, for the glory of God and for him. In that sense, the false teachers, they're different from the Word. They're conceited. There's conflicts and there's covenants. Let me give you applications. First one, do our jobs as for the Lord. So he'll be glorified. Whatever job you have, and if you're a college student and you say, well, I don't even have a job right now, I'm going to school, then do your schoolwork for the glory of the Lord. And for all of us who have jobs, we ought to do them for the Lord be glorified. A, do it unto the Lord. That's who you're doing it for. Whether you have a believer or an unbelieving boss, whatever it is, whatever job it is, do it for the Lord. B, do it the best you can. Who do you represent? You represent Jesus Christ. Do the best you can. You know what we should be as workers? We should be on time, truthful, full days work, full, full days pay, faithful and dependable, and we work hard when we're at work. That's what we ought to do. We ought to be the very best worker. It ought to be when they hire a Christian and they know you're a Christian, they say, well, we're going to find some. Hey, this person will be here. They'll be faithful. This is what they do. This is how they live. 
That's what we ought to do because we're doing it for the Lord. And we're doing the best we can. And the third thing is come under the authority over us. That's our bosses. Look at this right here. Next one. If, it's, if we work for an unbeliever, do it for the testimony's sake. Do our job for the Lord, for the testimony. If we work for a believer, don't take advantage. Our jobs, a chance to show hard work, a chance to have a, show a good attitude, and a chance possibly to share our faith. Second application, let's recognize false teachers and their results. They're conceited. They cause conflict and division. And they believe that what they do is a way to make money. We're not here to make money. We're here to make disciples. So may we do our jobs for the glory of God, being faithful to serve our bosses and our Savior, as we recognize there may be false teachers and deal with them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you, Lord, for these great truths. Help us, Lord, as we continue to study, as we go through Timothy, that will be things right here that we can apply in our lives even right now. Lord, may our lives be for your honor and your glory. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.